Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. This evening, I'm sat with Neil Young, co-founder of Young, former chief exec of Get Living, and the pioneer for the build-to-rent sector. So Neil, I know our audience is going to be really interested in more about your career and how it's developed. And I think we've probably got a bit of surprise for him because property is not where you started out, is it? Tell us a bit more about how that career began. Yeah, no, we'll ignore the milk round, but um, I started as an accountant. So um, first job was at Thompson Holidays, or two years it's now known. Uh, I was there for about three years, training to be a management accountant. And really, uh, majority of time, pricing and costing the brochures, as we used to do in those days, along with you know team in finance, but also working very closely with the marketing team. And I think that probably is one of the areas that got me interested in, in marketing, or, or particularly understanding it better in the sales side. And you know the, the finance and marketing work hand in hand. So... It was a, a great experience, uh, hard work because, you know, studying, I was working all day and then four nights a week, I'd be jumping on the tube from Camden down to London Bridge to, to do the evening classes. Um, and that was kind of for two years or so, but intense, but, you know, kind of had the energy then to do it and a few trips to uh, Ibiza and Mallorca thrown in. It sounds a lovely start. And then what followed after Thompson? Well, I moved to uh, British Airways. Um, the person who recruited me into to Thompson's phoned me up and said, I've, I've got a role at BA, are you interested? And I thought, well, I've enjoyed hospitality and travel, um, you know, keen to progress the career. And um, thought, you know, I kind of like the idea of working for a large company, not, not necessarily forever, but just to get that experience. So at the time there was kind of 50,000 people working at BA and I thought, yeah, that sounds good. So. Went there. Um, for a year, I was uh, the delights of working in catering finance. Uh, so along with David McKenzie, who, who I still work with to this day, um, we were the two accountants looking after all the food bills for BA in the UK. So uh, you know, many trips around the different airports and deciding about whether we should take half a tomato off a dish to save some money when it was budgeting time. Um, but a great, a great experience, uh, and works with great people and, and you know, a number of friends from, from that role still. And then after a year, got moved up into a management role, um, working in corporate finance, which was hugely enlightening. Had the opportunity to go to the executive team meeting once a month when the finance review was on. Uh, I was only in my mid twenties, so it was quite a, quite an experience. Um, so really looking at not only the kind of historic reporting, but more so the, the, the forecasting side of where BA was at. Um, and it was great. I mean, it was to have to, the exposure to, you know, the CFO contacting me with questions or being at the executive meeting and having the CEO asking questions that you're sitting there answering when you're only a few years into your career was was a real um, eye-opener for me. And, and actually going along to those meetings, you know, I, I learned, probably as much about how to run a business as how not to run a business. Um, it was, it was, you know, really, um, really something I, I look back on and, and still use to this day what I learned there. Um, and then while I was in that role, I kind of, I kind of, in the way I said, I'd like wanted to run my own business. I, I, I had a view that I didn't want to get to retirement age and think, I wish I'd tried different things. And one of the other things I wanted to do was, was work overseas. And during that corporate role, I was kind of assured that if I wanted to, um, then the opportunity was there. So I had a choice of going to Zurich or, or working in Hong Kong. Uh, and it was a no-brainer. It was Hong Kong wanted something that was different. And so I had two, two years of uh, BA in Hong Kong, and it was just 
um, fantastic looking after the Far East, number two to the general manager. Um, and it was really that kind of small business almost, we, we, the way we looked at it. You were running your own business, you had your, you had your team there, uh, albeit I think on that route, BA had about £70 million of revenue at the time. But you, know, you got your small team in Taiwan and China and Philippines. And you also got an interesting perspective of how people saw the UK and you know how we always try and too often the media talks down the UK, the, the respect that there is overseas um, is enormous. And um, yeah, it's quite, you know, it was a great period in my career. Now, where does real estate start to feature? Well, as you all know, uh, in Hong Kong, especially in the late 90s, a lot of the London developments would go out to Hong Kong first and um, you get those kind of pre-sales. And you know, I was out there with, with Savannah and um, you know, she's a surveyor, I'm an accountant, just needed a lawyer in there really um, to have the perfect kind of investment skill set but we, we just started looking and I had a friend who bought a few off-plan properties and liked it we bought a property before we'd gone out to Hong Kong and that had rented out well um, so we started uh, investing ourselves um, and then from there a few people that we knew in Hong Kong started saying well could you kind of help us and one was my my boss at the time and uh, you started thinking well maybe there's a business here in the future and so, was this was this for for personal gain, or when did it when did it start to become a business? Yeah, so we we came back to London because we were looking at setting up a business uh, and invest well, investing more in property, and doing that from six thousand miles away was was difficult. So Silvano took on a, a role in a letting agency for a couple of days a week because we realised we didn't have enough experience in the property management and the compliance side, so ASTs, etc. Um, so that was something that was uh, kind of started getting us into it. I took on a role as a CFO stroke COO for a, a NASDAQ listed uh, recruitment company. In fact, a company that was owned by monster.com, but it was a executive search side, had about 50 million of turnover in Europe and was in eight European countries. And that was the, the regional sector that I was, I was involved with. Um, so that was, that was also that kind of small business almost within a big business, um, which was enjoyable. But whilst we were doing that, we were um, investing a bit ourselves. We were buying rundown one bedroom flats uh, in kind of zone two. And we were spending our weekends painting walls and doing a lot of the refurb ourselves. I remember one Easter weekend that we started on a Friday, uh, trying to paint over a, a navy blue wall and convincing ourselves it only needed two coats but really needed three. Um, so while everyone else was out enjoying their bank holiday weekend, we were uh, in St. John's Wood painting walls. Um, but, you know, it's kind of, you, ha you had the, the time, the energy and, and, and to get into it. And that really started getting us into it as when uh, buy-to-let mortgages were becoming more pre prevalent. We were refinancing um, and yields were up at kind of six, six, seven percent, um, albeit interest rates were somewhat higher. And you, you, you know, we really got going into it and we kind of saw more opportunities to invest in and see property as our career. So you made the decision then that property was going to be a career. How high did you dare expect or set your ambitions on? I always wanted to have our own business, didn't really know what that would look like and didn't know how big that could get. But also someone who and this is something I've learned as the career has gone on, things genuinely don't happen overnight. Things take time. 
And I think I took the view that if you do the right thing and you do the right thing by people, it will grow. Now, was I sitting there saying I'm going to create a, a business worth 100 million? No. Was I thinking this could be a, a business that can create an income and a, and a lifestyle? Yes. And, and, and I think the other piece was around security. You know, when I was at British Airways and I was based out in Hong Kong, um, there was a restructuring going on and, and I was offered a role to be based in Sydney to go off to Australia and, and look after the um, Asia-Pacific region to be the number two for Asia-Pacific, which was a big increase. Um, you know, came home, told my parents, so rather than being 6,000 miles away from home, I was going to be 10,000 miles away from home. Um, that was all, you know, did that. And then about a week later, the board decided that they didn't want to do the restructuring. And I kind of hit me that companies, despite maybe how you're seen and if you're doing a good job, things happen that are outside your control. And I didn't want that to happen. At the time, you know, Savannah, I didn't have any kids, so we were fleet of foot and, and we you know, still had a role. Um, but I kind of thought, well, you know, I'd want to get to my mid-30s or 40s and have a, a company turn around and saying, sorry, you're being made redundant because uh, of... of restructuring so i kind of wanted that to create something where we could influence it and and that was a key driver rather than saying i want to make it business worth tens of millions it was a key driver of having control over our own destiny okay are you still doing this part-time whilst you and savannah have have day jobs is the painting at the weekends is that the hobby yeah i mean i suppose that we, we were i suppose i've always told that venture capital firms like investing in people in their early 30s who have got a few young kids at home because it makes them very focused on making a success and and we were in that category um and that the day job i had uh was as i said it was an american company the american company then decided that rather than having a presence in eight countries in europe they only wanted to be in the uk so this gave me a bit of a decision because the role i was doing um wouldn't be sustained just by the UK. So I had a decision of uh, there was an opportunity to move with a firm to New York. There's obviously an opportunity to find another job. Or was this the point where we went out and set up our own business? And, and we chose that final point. Um, so in late 2003, uh, didn't have the salary coming in every month. And we were then thinking, okay, we want to set up our own business. And, and we got ourselves to the position where we had uh, we had two kids under two at home um, and we had enough money to survive for about a year. Uh, and so what was that business going to be? And we spent three or four months just looking around. And then we alighted on the idea that um, there was a lot of people who invested in uh, shares, pensions, etc. But if they wanted to invest in residential property, it was a pain. They had to go to the estate agent or the letting agent and then the mortgage broker and then the furnishing side, et cetera. And we wanted to set up that kind of asset management business for sophisticated investors who wants to build a portfolio. So we spent four or five years building that business. Um, we were buying developments in London, uh, in up and coming areas. We were buying in places like Dalston and Southwark, um, um, Broadway market before others thought it was a place to buy. Uh, and those schemes range from you know, 20 units up to 100, up to they were then involved in Canary Wharf in a 700 unit scheme. So we were growing, working with the big agencies. So 
when you think about where we come from, the fact that we were in that kind of scale, and we had some investors that I'd known for a, for a number of years who were funding us. Um, and we had that classic JV of they were funding the money and we were running the business. And it, it was a, a great business that we grew, um, had a lot of very good investors who we're still in contact with now who have held those portfolios. And then obviously the um, financial crisis came along in, in after probably having the business for about five years. So that was a real stop for us. We kind of got out the positions we had. We, we still in, in 2008 completed on about 300 homes, which considering where the mortgage market was, was we were very proud of and, and uh, uh, a lot of those investors have still got those properties. But it got to the point then of what's the next stage because that kind of buying wholesale, selling retail was not really in vogue at that point. Um, and we've been writing a, a publication called PRS Update, which we started in about 2006, 2007. And it was a series of blogs, and then we converted it into a biannual magazine. And it was really us talking about the private rented sector um, and why we thought it was a good area to, to invest in. And there was, you know, the Nick Joplings of the world who were had been through with IPD, been talking about institutions getting involved. And we started getting involved in that. And then government, I think in 2008, 2009, we're trying to get businesses and institutions to invest in the residential sector. And we, so we were talking to the likes of Aviva and LNG about the sector, but not the traction was slow. Um, and so we kind of pivoted the business really into more of a consultancy business, as well as still managing the property for investors who bought. So we had Young London, which was our agency, um, where we had about 400 or so properties through our investors that was won lots of awards on the Sunday Times Lettings Award for the UK and Bloomberg Award and, and about 15 awards just because of the, the approach that we took where we always put the customer first. You know, in the property sector, um, it very much in residential, people look at the landlord. They think the landlord pays my fees. That's who I look, that's who I should be looking after. We turned it on its head and we kind of thought, well, actually it's the customer who pays the fees because without the customer's money and the, the renter's money, then there's no business here. So we very much looked at if we can if we can get a happy resident, then the numbers will follow. And with an accountancy background, you wouldn't think you'd have that approach, but that was always our approach. And when we started getting into the what was to become built to rent, that was very much the approach that we took. Um, and the PRS update magazine publication blog site that we had, you know, I've been told since by some very large investors who have got involved in the sector is that was something that they kept reading and thinking, I really should be looking at this sector. So Neil, as, as part of the preparation for the interview, I, I always try and do a bit of research and speak to a few people who might know you better than I do. Um, and and one of those individuals who's, who's worked with you over the years said that you never got the credit for being the pioneer for Build to Rent. Is that fair? I don't know. I think that's for others to, to probably say. I mean, I, I always feel proud to have been involved and helped a sector. Not many people in their career can say they, they, they were there at the beginning of a sector, especially when it's in property. Um, and I'd like to think that that kind of community and people approach that we took has had an impact on on the build to rent sector. And when we look at it now, it's people always talk about the neighbourhood, the community. And I'd like to think in our small way, we had a, uh, an important part to play in that. 
I was told a, a, a funny anecdote as well as part of my research. And they said you were on the one of the panels in the early resi days and you started to talk about the importance of the customer. And this sort of uh, this little reference was was sat in the uh, in the crowd, uh, and they, they said they heard someone behind them go, "Here he goes again about the customer." Yeah, and that did happen, and I loved it actually, and that just drives me on more because I just thought, how can you not see what's happening in other sectors? How can you not see the importance of the person who pays your your salary and and uh, pays your shareholders? And the fact that I, I I like challenging a sector. That's what we've always liked doing. And actually, when you see that attitude prevalent in a sector, you just think, wow, this is this is really the one to go after. So it, it didn't make me question what we were doing. It just fired me up more. And, uh, you know, when I see now surveys coming out and, and you know, the likes of home views and, and those kind of websites coming out saying how important the customer is, and you just think, yes. I, I, I don't see it as being that revolutionary. I just see it as common sense. Um, and it was always amazed me that more people didn't see that. And we had lots of battles along the way in terms of thinking about it for the for the customer's perspective, and, and why should we? And you sure that's right? And you know, I think I was saying earlier that you've got to look over the long term. You've got to build a trust up with your customer. Um, you can't just expect them, and you've got to build brand value. You know, I was, I was at a, a dinner once, a property dinner, and, and someone was saying, oh, there's no real trusted property brand, and I don't think there will be. And that was another thing that kind of fired me up. Said, yeah, there will be. It's, why shouldn't there be? So all's going extremely well now for Young Group. You've made that transition then from the accounting and finance career into real estate. It sounds like people are then starting to uh, to sit up and listen to what you're doing. So when was the next pivotal point for Young Group? Well, as I said, we, we pivoted into the consultancy and we've been doing some work with Essential Living, with Folio from Notting Hill and, and various others. But I think the pivotal bit was when I got a phone call from uh, someone I knew at Delancey and they said, could you come in and have a chat? We're down to the last three on the Athletes Village tender and um, we, we'd like to talk through what that could mean. And, and that was that was in summer 2011, so a year before the Olympics. And that's, yeah, that was something that kind of Got raised our heads a bit. And how crucial was that in the progress or the development of a young group? It had a couple of impacts, actually, because we started the conversation. And at that point, you know, Delancey and Qatari Dior hadn't actually purchased or, or um, been successful in the, in the bid. They were down to the last three. But I suppose it, you kind of saw what was coming in the sector, because when you're looking at a scheme that's going to day one give you 1500 homes you thought wow this is this is a the pioneer in terms of uh, a product so for us it was kind of yeah we really want to get involved in this because we've been talking about this and i suppose had the frustrations you know, you'd seen all these funds saying oh they've raised lots of money but no one had really done anything we could see this was going to be the one so this was exciting and it took over a nine-month period we were having conversations kind of once probably every couple of months uh, with Delancey about it, so nothing too fast. And then, uh, then Delancey needed to once they were successful, they wanted to partner with someone to come in and and help them set up what was to become Get Living and what was to become East Village. Uh, and they did a beauty parade, and you had Savills and, and Knight Frank and a couple of others. And I kind of said, well, we, we'd like to get involved in that as well. Uh, so we presented and we were successful. Which, when you think you've been 
you know, the, the, the small player um, jumping up and down trying to get noticed, uh, that really got us noticed. So I spoke to Delancey and asked and asked them about sort of how much they remember of this of this time, and I was particularly interested to know sort of how much of a risk do they think hiring the the sort of young upstarts versus the big sort of global big brands that we all, we all sort of know. They surprised me. But they said there was minimal risk because they got what we were looking for. We didn't think we needed to educate this partner coming in about the, what, what we were thinking about in terms of the vision and the strategy and the customer perspective. So actually, it was a better match than we could have imagined. Yeah, well, I mean, there were some key people there who you could see there was alignment between our vision. And, and the way we looked at it, we, we had you know, Young London, which was the agency business, and we had two offices at that point in Southwark and Canary Wharf. And we, we kind of part of the pitch said, we see this as our third office. So they really had an idea of how we saw things and we were encouraged that that they seem aligned. And when we pitched for it and you know, Howard Morgan from Real Service was was really helpful for us as well. And, and it was kind of, you pitched to run it as you saw, and we were encouraged to, to, to run it in the way we saw it should be run as opposed to thinking about it, how do we think uh, the, the property world thinks it should be run? And we, because we, we felt we wanted to do it true to our beliefs um and it was it was a phenomenal journey uh that you know it was new to all of us i mean okay we had we had our beliefs and we had our views but i remember the first time i stood in westfield and looked down the athletes village and you had 64 buildings out there so so, so, 67 acres and you're thinking god i'm used to filling one of these buildings and we've got to fill fill all of these and it was it was a a fascinating journey and I think we all learned a lot from it but um, yeah I mean we always respect the fact that they valued and, and I think one of the things that, that Delancey were very keen on was it was the four of the four of us it was, you know Savannah David Michael and myself were the ones who were on it uh, focused on it and it wasn't the kind of second in command they wanted they wanted us involved and we respected that um, and I think we, we all were true to what we believed in on day one. So if I should take a bit of a step back now, personally, had you had you given yourself any time or any, um, a chance to to plan this career? <laughs> um, well, I think I suppose early in my career, I I was thinking about my own business, but you also think you want to work for big companies, and you you were kind of impressed by it. Um, but then, you know, when I'd done five years at BA, I also decided that, you know, a lot of people at BA were lifers, you know, they were there 30, 40 years. And I didn't, I, I decided I didn't want to do that. But back in that day, I, no way did I think I'd end up in, uh, the kind of real estate world in the way that I did and, uh, being there at the forefront of a new sector. And, you know, I, I fondly remember where I was when, uh, London won the Olympics, you know, it was awarded the Olympics in 2005. Um, so having lunch with a with a, with a guy who I noticed to this day, and um, never did I realise the impact it would have going forward. And yeah, of course, of course. Um, and so, what's do you remember? What's driving you at this time? Well, I always liked I like challenging the sector, and we like trying to look at different approaches to it. And I think with uh, you know it became Get Living. I think it was how can we really shake this up. 
how can we really turn this into something? So we, we did uh, focus groups and interviews. We, we got feedback from about 2,000 renters. And we got all the issues that they, they were frustrating with renting. And we just tried to challenge every one of those, turn them all on their head. And I, I love doing that. You know, people didn't like the fact they didn't have flexibility, so we gave them flexibility. We didn't, they didn't like the fact that landlords could chuck them out at any point. So we did three-year tenancies with no landlord break. Um, I hated fees. So, you know, way before the government changed it, we, we didn't charge fees. So I, I just, that stuff where you think, actually, you can look back and think, I had an impact on, on what is, I think, people consider the second oldest industry in the country. Um, that's something that really drives you very much. So the proposition for Athletes Village was going to transform what Young Group was was involved in. But it did also then spell the end of Young London, didn't it? So we rewarded a, a consultancy contract with uh, Delancey and Qatari DR to help set up the you know, Get Living and, and the Athletes uh, and East Village. And it was roughly two to three days a week for the four of us. So in terms of growing the business, the, the young group, it was it was great, obviously, income generated, but we appointed someone to run our young London business as a GM to keep that going. But we were, we were starting to see this new world. And I think we were seeing where the rental business could go um, and the impact of, of build to rent. So after being involved for a couple of years, uh, Delancey then with APG um, bought in Elephant Castle. So they bought a scheme and then they bought the shopping centre. And at that point, it was apparent that Get Living was, at the moment, at that time it was Get Living London, was going to become bigger than just East Village. Um, you know, when we, when we started, it was all about East Village, make that work, make that work. But because of the success that that had become and buying Elephant Castle, so I had a chat with um, Delancey and they kind of said, well, kind of got to the point of, well, do you come in and run the whole thing? And we, we're operators. We're, albeit we've done consultancy, we like to be uh, really there and having an impact. So after some various discussions, we decided the, the four of us would go into Get Living as the exec team and I took on the chief exec role. Um, and at that point, we, we sold Young London, which was the agency business to Countrywide. Uh, and the, the kind of Young Group piece was just wound down. So we never sold it, but... Um, I guess we'd done one of the classic small business things of having one very large client. So we had a few other um, number of other consultancies, but we kind of wound those down and went full on the on the get living piece. And so, as, as someone who'd started that, you, David, and, and your wife have been incredibly sort of um, involved in the creation of that. How did that feel to to pause it or leave it behind? It was more of a pause than an end because I always knew that we did. You know that at the time. Yeah, I think I did. I think I did. And some of the conversations I had about the role at, at Get Living was, uh, yeah, not to, to, th- th- there was a there was a length of time in that role, and I think it gets to a point where, it, you know, I, I like innovation, I like challenge, etc. And and you know, as we come to the latter part, the Get Living piece, you do all that, and then it becomes more of a corporate entity. So I always knew I liked getting involved in new stuff. Um, so it was always in my mind that it would come back. The, the agency piece was something we were, we were happy to kind of sell on. We, we built up a very 
a very good agency and so won several awards and had a very good landlord base. Uh, it was all letter managed um, and we, we got, I think, the highest multiple ever when we sold that business. So, yeah, I always knew it would come back at some point. Wasn't quite sure what that meant. Uh, and also knew that uh, at some point in my career, I would want to, to have, have our own business again. I talk about chapters in people's careers and I talk about the acceleration and the consolidation. Was the, the contract and the transition for the four of you into Get Living, are we, are we in a period of acceleration? And if so, what's affecting and what's, what's happening now? My career is not a traditional career. Um, it, it, it's not what you normally see. And you know, I've, I've done stuff at kids' schools and things and, and talking about how your career. And I think it, it progresses, but it's how, what you want to make of it. It was, you know, it, was a, it was quite a big jump moving from the young group role into the Get Living piece. I had the advantage that I'd had a, a couple of years at British Airways in the corporate finance role. So I had an idea of that how that bigger piece works with, with the investors and the corporate reporting, et cetera. I think from a, a challenge point of view of trying to do something that no one's done before, you know, there was no guide to how you set up a build to rent business. There was no guide to, you know, Stafford and I would often talk about, um, from, from Delancey, talk about the fact that, you know, when they completed on the Athletes Village, he, his, he gave me 7,000 keys for 1,500 homes and start renting them. You know, how do you do that? You know, when you've got so many people telling you, saying, oh, you've got so much supply, how are you going to rent them? So we did what we thought was right and think worked out. We, we made it exclusive. We'd only ever advertise about 15 to 20 homes at any one point. And people say, well, you've got 1,500. And we, we said, no, no, you've only got this small selection. So we were trying to think about from being at British Airways and Thompson's and, and having our own lettings portfolio and running our own other businesses. Uh, what is it that, that works and doesn't work? And what are you trying to create? And actually, although there was 1,500 homes there, you were trying to create exclusivity. You were trying to create uh, an urgency to, to taking property rather than thinking there's no urgency because there'd always be there. So there was a challenge in that respect. But we, what we always like to do is look at other sectors and learn from other sectors um which i don't think is necessarily always done in real estate so that was kind of how we took our our lead quite often uh you know you could think about the car industry with you know you have the challenge of um you know you know when you buy a new car you think was going to when you resell it because it's not new anymore so we had the same thing with with east village and you've got brand new properties how are you going to keep the prices going up when they're then not new anymore um how do you deal with classic supply and demand when you've got such large, large supply? So there were those kind of, you could arguably say, intellectual challenges that were there that were just fascinating. Um, so you, you, it was just, it was, it was challenging you as a person. And as you know, you always got to be the swan, haven't you? On the, on the outside, you've got to show a, a calmness and a control for the team, for the investors, etc. But underneath, you're kind of thinking, how are we going to do that? Okay. So you've now got this brand new platform. Now, we've talked about Athlete Village um, and East Village. And you've, obviously, you've given hints to, to how, how that portfolio began to grow. But how big did it get? I remember we, we took on some service offices in Houston, which had about 70 desks. And I remember going in there on the first day 
and um, sat in the corner, three or four of us, and looked, and there was no one else there. <laughs> so we always used to talk about it being a billion-pound startup because um, you had a billion-pound worth of assets, uh, but nothing else. You had no revenue, no staff, no processes. We had a, a vision, which we shared very closely, but there was nothing else. You know, that you were starting. So, you know, we grew it. We grew the team to... 60 or 70 people we structured that we made assumptions on applicant flow conversion rates fall throughs we did work on the logistics of how many people you could move in in a week what would be traffic flows you had to take into account how many lifts there were in a block you know we, we had the whole lot to look at when you look back now you know east village started with 1500 homes east village now has got 3000 built to rent homes in over in Elephant and Castle. There's another 700 that we then launched a few years later, including a student PBSA of about 300 homes. So that was another learning thing. We had to learn the student market, um, which was fascinating. And then it launched in Manchester, uh, albeit at the same time had bought land in Leeds and Glasgow, where we were involved in designing what would be new neighbourhoods, um, seven or 800 home neighbourhoods. So we we had to kind of learn the regions, um, trips to, to those locations as well, and, and try and think that through. So, you know, it, it turned into, you know, when I left, it was a, a £2 billion REIT. So the year before I left, it got listed as a private REIT, um, brought in another investor. And it was, there was about 3,000 homes, 3,000 3, or so homes operational. Uh, in total, 7,000 homes being looked after, either going through planning operational or or being or under construction. So it, it was big. So Neil, there's one thing that's obviously that's, is going to resonate an awful lot with our audience, and, and that is the clarity or the focus of that thought that you've had around the importance of customer. But as, as your businesses have grown, there must have been people who have joined this team who haven't had that same laser focus or, hasn't, or maybe hasn't shared that, that vision. How do you instill that in someone who hadn't, who doesn't certainly outset share that with you? Well, I think we've been involved in sectors that a lot of people who work with us can relate to, and can share in the frustrations that they've had, and like the fact, the approach that we take and the attitude we've got to the customer. But you know, I wouldn't say uh, as anyone, you, your recruitment policy can't always be successful, and. Um, it can be, I don't know if frustrating is the right word, but you, you want people to share your vision. And I think you've got to understand that different people uh, take on things in different ways and you've got to approach different people. I'm not saying that uh, we're miracle workers and there's sometimes where difficult decisions would ensue with staff and, and we're, we've never been shy of that either. So if I fall back to my research and the guys I'd, I'd spoken to who've, who've worked with you and worked, uh, worked for you over this time, there is definitely something that comes out regularly. And that is how competitive you are, whether it's on a bike or under here, a snooker table, and sort of how sort of single-minded you can be. Has that ever had any negative consequences? Has that ever had any consequences? I think over the years, I've probably become more aware of myself when that's happening. And... I have always tried to take a bit of a helicopter view of situations and try and look at it from both sides. But sometimes when you do that, you still feel that 
your uh, view on life or an approach is right. Maybe you're, you, you struggle to uh, put that across to the other side. Um, and I can see there's been times where uh, I haven't compromised and that's probably uh, affected some people's views on on the way I kind of have operated. But I, I think um, you, you know, I'd like to think I, I have, I certainly have ta- do take on board other people's comments. Um, but when you're trying to, you're in, in businesses where you're trying to grow things and often at speed, you, you need to be able to have that view of how to get there. Um, and yes, you want to take as many people along the way, but I guess there's also a realization that you can't always be. I mean, I, I've worked with people who have maybe been a bit too wishy-washy and actually have, they probably admitted afterwards that maybe they haven't progressed in the way that they wish they had. Um, maybe because they've always tried to accommodate too many different views. Um, I would like to think I haven't been, um, yeah, you know, overly the other way, but there, there have I can think that there, yeah, there there are times where um, maybe I've been quite stubborn in my approach. So, to anyone who's more familiar with your career and sort of particularly sort of recent career, they will know that despite all this tremendous sort of growth and and real acceleration, that your journey and and get livings did have an end date, didn't it? Yeah, I left in September nineteen, uh, and I'd been involved for almost a decade. And it was an amazing journey. But I would say, if you look at a lot of what I, what I say in the, my career, I like the innovation side. I like challenging. You know, we, we following a conversation between David and I, we, we were the ones who championed no deposits within the sector. And we did that, I think it was in 2017. And we just loved that aspect of challenging it. We saw what was happening. And then obviously others have followed since and you've got the no deposit uh, schemes. But we, we saw that. But... As, as a business grows, it goes through stages and it gets to the point where you've got more people involved and you get living had four and four significant investors at the end. And it had become more of a, a corporate. Uh, it was a REIT. Uh, and we saw that change. And getting further innovation through had its various challenges. And I'd been for about a year, 18 months before I left, been thinking about what's the next stage. Um, and I had a, you know, a few friends and people around who were doing other things and were saying to me, come on, let's get involved in this, get involved in that. And I remember about six months before I left, you know, one of those guys came over from overseas and I said, okay, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get involved in what you're talking about. But uh, thinking I need my time back. You can't do that while you're doing a seven-day a week chief executive of a two billion pound REIT. So I could kind of see the changes. And I think for the business, it was the right thing. Um, it probably needed more of a corporate person leading it. Uh, you know, I, was, I, I, I like the, the challenge in the innovation. So it was a time to, to go. And I, I'll always look back on that time fondly, especially the first kind of four or five years. I learned a lot from it, worked with some really good people, you know, still in touch with many of them and uh, really kind of looking at the next phase of, of my career. And I think, you know, as you, you approach kind of being 50, you kind of think, well, what's the next 10, 20 years of your life going to be? And I think that's why we brought 
Young back together, um, brought the band back together. And because uh, David left uh, a similar time to me and, and Savannah left uh, earlier this year. And we, we kind of knew we wanted to use a skill set, but we, we kind of looked at our younger selves. We look at, looked at when we were in our kind of early 30s setting up Young Group, we were thinking about what help would we have liked. And there were some people who were great to us at the time um, who really helped us. And so we wanted to get into a space where we look at early startup businesses or entrepreneurs who are keen uh, to start something up, but would quite like a bit of gray hair to guide them and, and people with a few contacts. And that's what Young is about. It's, it's that living sector, that hospitality sector. How can we uh, invest our time and, and money and some of our investors' money alongside those businesses? So we've got a meaningful stake in those businesses uh, and look at it over the long term. And I look at this as over the next kind of 5, 10, 20 years. That leads me on very, very nice then to saying what's next. I mentioned before in our introduction as, as being a, the pioneer for the build to rent sector. You've spotted that before an awful lot of people and, and you did a huge amount to actually get that sector recognised. So I'm sure a lot of our audience is now thinking, right, what's Neil on to next? Well, I wrote a, I wrote a blog recently talking about how it, in the past people would buy assets, hold them for a period and then sell them and they expect to make some money. And I think that era is coming to an end. And I think where you are buying assets, I think you've got to put an operating business over it to not rely on other people to grow the, the asset value, but I think you've got to influence it yourself. So clearly that was something we did at, at Get Living. So we're looking at, at businesses that are um, asset-backed but need a good operation. So one of the ones we're looking at at the moment and been working on for about nine months is in the student sector. Um, in that HMO market, which albeit has improved from, from maybe many years ago when, when I was at university, but has still got a long way to go. Um, and, and, I, and, and so we're looking at how can we buy the product and put an operating platform in place that would give students a really good experience. And I think if you look at it from the property sector, a lot of people's first experience of real estate is in their student days. And it's normally not very favorable. And that kind of stays with them for life. So I think from a society benefit as well, for, for those students to have a good experience and also for an industry benefit, I think it's got a big part to play. So we're very um, focused on that at the moment. We've got a couple of great entrepreneurs who are around that 30 mark who have got that energy and the keenness. So we're going to support them. They're the management team. We're not going to be, you know, early on, we'll, we'll be quite involved in helping setting it up. But in time, uh, you know, we're going to use our experience to help them to run and grow a hugely successful business. Uh, so that's that's one thing we're involved in. There's another which is going back to our travel days, but it's um, a retreat business that we're setting up overseas. Uh, and again, you know, one of the people we're involved in was someone I joined within a week when I was at Thompson's all those years ago. Um, and then when you overlay um, you know, David's experience, Savannah's design experience, uh, and then the whole kind of get living community piece. We think there's a real opportunity to build a really good retreat business. And then we're looking, so we're looking at other property related areas that use an experience of how you operate, how you challenge, how far you challenge as well. Because you, you don't want to challenge a sector for the sake of it. Um, but I think we're also getting into a world where local is more important. Um, you know, walkable neighbourhoods where things are nearby. I think on the back of 
COVID, I think we'll, we'll, we'll see more of that. So I think that's something else we're quite interested in. Um, and of course, you know, if, if there's some build to rent opportunities where we can use our experience, um, we're kind of happy to have those conversations. We've had a few, um, but not things that really interest us. You're seeing more on co-living at the moment. I had quite a few conversations with people around co-living, um, hoping potentially come across something that works. And uh, there's also, I think there's a key worker element to be uh, build to rent, something we're talking to in that sphere as well. So we're kind of enjoying it. We, we, we've been pleasantly surprised of how much contact we've had. And we, we're kind of wary of taking too much on as well. Um, that we, when we when we get involved in um, enterprises that we've got the time to focus on it, not as I say on a full-time basis, but in that advisory way, but also to be aligned from an equity point of view. Well, Neil, thank you very much for your time this evening. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and no doubt our audience will too. Uh, but if there are any budding entrepreneurs who've been listening to this and if they've got any great ideas, are they free to reach out to you through LinkedIn? Yeah, no, that'd be great. And thanks, Nick. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by McDonald & Company, the leading real estate recruiter. To discuss any matters with Nick Carman, please contact him via the email address in your show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to receive the latest episode as it's released.